Uh, I apologize, everyone. I did. Um, uh, Levi uh, corrected me on the do, uh, <laughs> which is actually much more fun to say than Husker do. I got, uh, sorry, I thought they were a Nebraska band. Sorry. <laughs> we're from the Midwest. We're used to seeing that word and saying Husker. Yeah. <laughs> everybody welcome to rock and roll shinsu chu episode number 110 a field guide to the twin cities very excited about this episode as we take you into the heart of minneapolis and st paul rock and roll music and baseball so glad to be here my name is gabe essel i'm here with my co-host dennis levi leach and jonathan getz how's it going guys great i'm ready to give it 110 percent on episode 110 just just uh talking about some real minnesota folks here and um we've got uh, a special guest tonight um you've seen him on the show before um it is paul matushik how you doing paulie doing great also going to give 110 percent, even though that's impossible <laughs> <laughs> not when you're running to first bud no. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I only bunted. I could only get on base if I bunted. So I, I, I'll sprint at first. He's <laughs> nice. Well, um, Paulie um, also um, is in the People Brothers Band. Check them out on Facebook. Uh, really good stuff. And he's been doing a Thursday night um, uh, jam session with no repeats. Right, Paulie? Well, yeah, no repeats. I think I'm at 3.55 after the last show. Nice. Yeah, it's hence a breaky heart. Found its way into the sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Found its way in. But after many requests for it. <laughs> Never happened. No one's ever requested a breaky heart. <laughs> And, nice and and so um uh you've 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 had songs that you've started one week and you've you've concluded the next yes um, uh the last time i did that i think it was i did it with i can't drive 55 you guys are gonna <laughs> i'm not really uh giving you some good content song wise here people are gonna get the wrong impression oh no, <laughs> no we, we run the gamut on this show man so no no, no you've had some choice cuts in there though <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But. So, so real quick though, um, when you're creating your set list from week to week, how quickly are you having to learn some of those songs? Uh, a, lo- a lot of them, especially lately, I've been learning like an hour before the show. Damn, and <laughs> and then forgetting them by showtime, <laughs> and then stumbling through them. But some oh, of them turn out. Some turn out. Well, thank you. Uh, other <laughs> ones I've I've known for a while, but a lot of it, especially now, is right before the show. Nice, nice. It's fun. Well, it's a fun time. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of fun. Man. It sounds <laughs> it sounds great thank too. Uh, so everybody, check that out on Thursday nights. On on what time you start on that, Paulie? What time? Uh, uh, Seven thirty. Seven thirty Central Time. Kick that. Yeah. Kick it off then. So yeah, check out the People Brothers Band as well. Check them out on Facebook. We'll post a link to it, too. Um, again, tonight, harken back here, uh, the Twin Cities. Um, you know, we've done these field guide episodes before. Um, we've done one for Detroit, uh, and we did one for Philadelphia. Have we done any others, guys? Are those, the, those are the, the only two city ones, I think. Um, yeah, I think we've mainly done years on other ones. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, I like these geographic ones. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, so tonight, right, uh, we are going to go Minneapolis-St. Paul. 
and give you a field guide to the Twin Cities. Uh, excited about this. Some great music and uh, baseball have come out of um, the area. So in 1982, the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, were a veritable hub of sports and music innovation, for better and for worse. The Minnesota Twins were moving out of their mosquito-ridden home of Metropolitan Stadium and into antiseptic Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome, a venue where the World Series games could be just as deafening as the 1988 Monsters of Rock Tour. While the Homer Dome would attract its fair share of mega concerts over the next decade, raucous original sounds were already filling venues down the street, most notably the historic First Avenue and 7th Street Entry, where the native sounds of the replacements, Huskerdoo and Prince, gained a foothold before catching on around the world. And so that leads us. Put on a sweater, folks. We're going up to Minnesota. Um, so, yeah, you guys want to kick it off here, uh, Jonathan, with uh, some of your... Um, your highlights from the Twin Cities and kind of sort yeah. of some eccentric things you found out here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll kind of set you guys up for some of this. Um, okay. Uh, so feel free to jump in where, where you think you can add something. But uh, I had a lot of fun uh, uh, listening to catalogs kind of from start to, to finish almost uh, for uh, particularly for the replacements and, and, and Husker Du and 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 soul asylum um and and the evolution was just fascinating with you know with what the replacements were doing right there um in the early 80s and 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 where it ended up and and up to that up to now i mean uh my um uh, my my primary source of of um uh, musical taste when it come when it came to the twin cities was paul westerberg on the single soundtrack um, <laughs> and, and I always really dislike card, huh? Yeah, and I always uh-huh. really dug his tunes on the single soundtrack, even though you know for this um, uh, uh, for this guy, you know, it was more about uh, the Pearl Jam and the Mud Honey and the Chris Cornell cuts on that soundtrack. But but uh, I always thoroughly enjoyed the Westerberg stuff. And admittedly, I, over the years, I just never really went down that rabbit hole. And um, but of course, I knew who the replacements were. And, and, um, but I hadn't really dug in. And so digging in over the last couple of weeks, the evolution is really, really something. Um, and, uh, I think that that's one of the funnest things to do in preparing for these episodes is just to listen to those like back to back to back to back over the course of the day. And, uh, uh, between like them and, and soul asylum and, uh, I, I don't remember hearing that much evolution over the span of five or six records uh, out of many other bands uh, in the yeah. world. Kind of a similar arc um, musically for all those that they took, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, they they kind of were basically punks that picked up acoustic guitars, you know, a little later on. That's 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 kind of yeah, how I, how I saw tell, it, you know? Punk. Punk was like the thing that spurred all these guys to start a band. Yep. And then like once they kind of had the band together for a while, they all kind of went to the to the more like power pop type of almost. Yep. yep. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. they, they were punks who identified more with the Beatles than they really did with the Ramones. Right. Sure. Right. right. Sure. So a little more sense of melody all of a sudden coming out of that genre. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we talked about kind of the the arc of the, th- the those three bands and how it was it was similar, um, and they all kind of evolved at the at the same time. I mean, 
Soul Asylum by far the most commercially successful of those mm-hmm. three bands. Okay. Um, but, you know, Paulie, we've talked about this with another example I'll share in a minute, but um, they kind of, like, lost their street cred when they got big. You know, right. like, um, like you mentioned replacements in Husker do to any music critic over 50, and he basically, you know, starts... You know, starts to <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Soul Asylum, and everybody's be like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> you know." And it's kind of like we were we were talking about this in a previous episode, or maybe we had it stashed away for a future episode with with the if you compare it to the jam band scene, it's kind of like Soul Asylum is kind of like the blues traveler. Sure, you know what I mean? yeah, like, right, they, right. Got, yeah, got got immensely popular, you know, and got like quite a bit of commercial success. Yeah, you know? but yeah, but then like you know, they lost any cred among right. that scene. Um, like, I, I I still like them. I don't, I don't really care if people get popular. I'm kind of rooting for the bands yeah. I like, you know? Um, well, I mean, Hang Ten is a great album. I, I yeah. still like Hang Ten. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a similar thing with Soul Asylum. You know, they... Um, uh, in re- You know, when people look back on it, uh, that scene... They're they're gonna you know probably mention Husker Du and the replacements first, even though Soul Asylum was certainly um, the band that got the biggest of the three. Right, and I mean, as a kid growing up and hearing like Runaway Train, I thought mm-hmm. they were a new band then. Right, you yeah, right. Yeah. Sure, like, right. I didn't even realize MTV hadn't told me that they had been around like ten plus years or whatever. You right. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're good too. I mean, like I, I, it's I, I had Grave Dancers Union when it came out, and you know, uh, I, I hadn't listened to it in a really long time prior to prepping for this episode. And um, yeah, they're really, they're it's a really good collection of songs. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, it's I see why it became popular, you know. Um, and Jonathan, you were talking, I think, when we were kind of prepping for this or in text or something a little bit about the different genres that are kind of on Grave Dancers Union as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's, um, and, and leading up to Grave Dancers Union, maybe the, the couple albums prior, it seems oh, like yeah. Soul Asylum had a lot more of a metal influence. Uh, uh, yeah. Like in 80s. And, and I, I know it's a kind of a derogatory term, hair metal um, <laughs> influence. And, and some of the, uh, in some of the guitar sounds, first of all, but also just in some of the songwriting, uh, the melodic songwriting that is, and some of the uh, some of the hooks, like that's straight up metal stuff uh, that they were doing, but it was just totally disguised and and for lack of a better word, um, repackaged as alternative. Yeah, right, right. right. Um, yeah, like uh, what is it? Uh, Black Gold's kind of got that. You know, that sounds like it. It could be a. Um you know, a song on a warrant record or something. Oh, almost, the first notes, you know? the first yeah, notes on that yeah. record. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. I, I like the record. Shit. It's, it's got a horse on it. The one, I think it's maybe the one before the horse they wrote in on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one's pretty solid as well. It's kind of like, um, sort of like, you know, they're, uh, the, a, a good, crossroads between you know where they were and where they were headed you know but there was also a lot of uh, alt country in there too and some of that uh, mid-80s stuff that you would later hear in uncle tupelo Tupelo, um, which totally caught me off guard uh when i first listened to it over the last week and and uh, i was like oh that's where jeff tweedy got that idea for his vocal stylings (laughs) what what would think this whole scene had a huge influence on uncle tupelo i I would guess you know yeah 
I mean, uh, Husker Du basically create. I mean, they're the band that basically created college rock. Sure, you know what I mean. Yeah, like right, right. There, it was like a whole genre based basically out of of them and Soul Asylum and the Replacements. All that stuff was getting played on college campuses. Yeah, and, and, and so it, you know, we had talked a little bit in some of the notes for this. It. it in my mind, it feels like if Minneapolis hadn't happened, I'm not so sure Seattle would have ever happened. Sure, right. sure. You know, right. ten years later. Yeah, and that may have been why Cameron Crowe decided to include him on the single soundtrack because he knew that that influence was there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, Chandler, I, do you have a, a singles T-shirt? By the way, <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I um I also like with 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 Husker do um it's uh you know it's it's got a jangly thing to it you know and um it kind of reminds me of there's a little bit of like a early REM kind of sound to some of it it's it's certainly obviously it's got a bigger punk influence than REM but um I could um I could kind of see some parallels there between sure. like a pre pre oh, yeah. green REM and 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 Husker do you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, heard some of that. Um, yeah, like, I, I, so yeah, so obviously, big big stuff coming out of um, sort of the, the you know the the punk rock seeds that were planted in Minneapolis and then kind of watered with acoustic guitars, if you will. Um, but obviously, you know, most people when they think of Minneapolis, guys, I'll transition here a little bit. Most most people think of um, he was known by a symbol as just one time <laughs> at one time. Um, most people think of, 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 uh, of Prince game blouses. All right. So let's have some pancakes. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, so what do you guys like? I mean, what are, what are your Prince, uh, highlights, man? What do you guys, uh, um, uh, taken away from the Prince catalog. Well, I, I mean, I'll say, you know, I've listened to Prince, obviously, on and off for years because I had a sister that was 10 years older than me. So I was watching MTV when I was like four, five years old. And so, I mean, I basically grew up seeing all of his videos and seeing mm-hmm. you know, seeing his evolution. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the neatest things I think about when I do think about Prince, not necessarily just his catalog, but is like he was all about helping other Minnesota bands as well. Like, I mean, there's a lot of local bands. One of them was a band called Power Mad, and they were a, a heavy metal, speed metal, thrash metal band out of Minneapolis mm-hmm. in um, the late 80s. And yeah, Prince had them record at Paisley Park. And um, they're they had a an EP called Madness Begins, which is excellent, and it's it, it was you know Prince let them record at Paisley Park, but they didn't have any money to really like promote the album. So I don't know if you guys remember Rip Magazine and like oh, magazines yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rip Magazine, Power Rip, Power Mad. They ended up putting ads in there and was like, hey, you know, we recorded this album at Paisley Park. Like, send us a dollar or two for shipping, and we'll mail you the cassette. So that's how they distributed their album. And I just think that's neat that he helped create, like, kind of like an indie scene, not even within his own genre. Right. Yeah. Minnesota guy until the end, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, uh, uh, someone like Prince who has a catalog that big, there's going to be ups and downs. You know, oh, yeah. it was kind of. It was kind of hard to go back and listen to some of the Batman soundtrack. Oh, yeah, sure. Vicky yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Mickey> Vale. <Yeah. laughs> but no, I, I'll never forget the first time I heard Pussy Control. I was at a bar, <laughs> and it came on, and I was like, what the hell is this shit? Like, I, I had never heard that Prince song. And, you know, this probably would have been like 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. And yeah, we uh, I just that song blew my mind. <laughs> Prince, Still Prince does. wasn't afraid to, afraid to go to to go dirty, man. You know, oh, like yeah. He, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, the lyrics though are so great and so on point too with it though. So it's like, yeah, you can't. I mean, you can't argue with the man. Right. Yeah. My only my only thing about some of that stuff, which it, I don't know if I should get hung up on it, but he was like a pretty hardcore Jehovah's Witness. It was. Which makes yeah. that stuff a little confusing in your right? head for a second. Right. But anyways, we don't need to really sit on that. But just I, I think he, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Oh, no, like to the point where like he, he's a, he was a door knocker. Like he'd he right? go door to door. Can you imagine that, dude? Being in Minneapolis, you know, you're just, you're just, you know, I don't know, making an omelet or something, right? You're, you're a knock yeah. on the door. You're like, oh, okay, just a minute. You know, and he goes there. It's just. I bet it, his conversion rate was through the roof. I mean, he was, he was like 90% of the doors he knocked on were converted. Right? They're like, fuck it, I'm in. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I never do that. So, yeah, that does make it. It's like cream, huh? Jehovah's Witness and Cream. Yeah, right. Well, the thing that the thing that I kind of forgotten, um, you know, prior to researching this, I mean, I think you know all of us, you know, know his classic records, and like Levi mentioned, you know, he was pretty prolific. Um, he never really stopped recording music, you know. Like, I mean, there, there's there's probably right. about a half a dozen records or right. so in there that like nobody knows any tunes from him, really. Not, you know, I mean. But he, they didn't have any hit singles or anything like that. But yeah, he he kept cranking them out even in like the the mid '90s to the early aughts. And like those albums, um, I, I I I listened to a few of them, and there's it's it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of jazzier some of it, you know. Some of it's straight uh, up rock. Some of it's straight up rock, yeah. And then you know, some of it is is more R and B influenced. Um, so yeah, you could you could I guess I could sort of. Uh, I guess I couldn't see where he was going. It was a little bit, uh, but it seems like maybe like, I don't know, like around 10 years ago or so, it seems like people started to like, kind of like reconsider his career, like in how, like, I, I feel like people like started fawning over him more, yeah. like more, like he got resurrected somehow, you know, like maybe yeah. 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if it was like a, you know, a new record came out or just he started touring again. Um, isn't but, that but, isn't yeah. that funny how that works though? Like a musician can be incredibly prolific and is just cranking out record after record after record. And after a while, obviously, you know, you aren't going to like keep topping the charts. Right. But then it gets to the point where people like just go out of their. Way. I shouldn't say go out of their way, but you just get ignored because Basically, you're yeah. just doing your thing. Meanwhile, right. if he took ten years off and then put out a record, it would it would sell like thirty million copies. Right. Yeah, it's ironic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I he was prolific so much in the fact that I, you know, 
like some people, you know, kind of compare it to the Grateful Dead for the fact that like I guess there's just like vaults filled with tapes. Like he would record at Paisley Park like every day, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I'm assuming what has surfaced as an official release is at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, so it would be interesting if any of that ever sees some of the light of the day. Or I would like to see maybe some more vintage live shows of him released. Sure. Right. I've kind of bootlegged from 87 where Miles Davis comes out with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 definitely very late career Miles, so it's not necessarily right. as as tight probably as we'd all like it to be. But it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's it's just it's cool to hear them play off each other. Definitely. Well, isn't Miles Davis on uh, Sign of the Times album? I think you're right. Yeah, oh, I, think, yeah. I think he is. Yeah. So I don't know if that that would have been like yeah, I've been around that time. Eighty seven. Right, right. yeah. Can I play with yeah, you? Right yeah, he plays on Can I Play with You, and it's going to be a beautiful night medley. Okay. Oh, so right. I was surprised. I listened to Sign of the Times, and I was I remember the title of the album, but I didn't hardly know anything on that album. Which I, I thought there's some big hits on that sure, one. Sure, right? Yeah. I forget uh, which is the hit on that one, but. So you got the look on there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's the big yeah. single. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Sheena Easton? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good old Sheena East. <laughs> he, I mean, he always, you know, surrounded him. You know, he, he always had a lot of female players around. I remember, like, a few years later, he went with Diamonds and Pearls. Remember those uh, those two? Yeah. Like, on yeah. the. Um, yeah. On the, um, I don't know if it would have been the one. I think maybe one or two. It would have been like right after Batman. I think there was an. I think the album was called Diamonds and Pearls, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the song right there. That's the song. <laughs> right, right, right. I can't, I actually came back to that song a couple of years ago and was like, you know what? I do like this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right away, I was like, you know, when it first came out, I was like, eh, I don't know, but now I love it. It's great. It's kind of yeah. kind of proggy guitar sing in the middle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we would be remiss now if we didn't also mention during this point Morris Day in the time. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, they yeah. kind of hand in hand there a little yes. bit. Definitely a rivalry between Prince and Morris Day, I would say, a little bit. Uh, like artistic, like, you know, good... Good natured, I believe. Right. But. Oh, I love Morris Day in time. That now that's the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, that I don't uh, know if you guys. Yeah, go ahead, get some, sir. That Pitchfork article uh, does a great job of digging into that relationship between Prince and Morris Day and First Avenue specifically, uh-huh. um, and uh, some of those stories where people showing up like. Purple Rain was released in theaters, and the next day, some dude had driven from Detroit to like give a tape to the fictional <laughs> club owner, <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, there you go. who ironically was played by a dude from Detroit, <laughs> an actual promoter from Detroit. The dude didn't have to leave town. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I even listened to Morris's solo records without the time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> His timeless pieces, if you will. <laughs> Color of Success and Daydreaming. I, 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 I listened to both of those. They're they're you know they're 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 maybe not quite as full as the time, um, but uh, they're you know they're not bad. They're not bad records either. They're fun. So it's yeah. it's interesting. Those the, uh, sorry to go back to Prince real quick, but okay. the, the the first few records and. I admit, I'm I'm a Prince novice, um, 
and I, I've only been kind of just aware of him and, and appreciative of him without really digging in too deep. Um, and uh, th- those first few records are pretty raw, and he hadn't quite found his sound yet. For sure. Uh, and or I shouldn't say he hadn't found it, but he hadn't achieved some of the sonic um, achievements he would he would get, uh, like say with 1999 and, and a Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to to listen to those first few records and um, just hear how raw that they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the first one where he's like shirtless and got like the blowout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the one that's got a "I want to be your lover" on it, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's from like '79 or so. Yeah, great. Yeah, um, yeah. That, but that's what I always. When I go back and listen to it in a catalog, that it's it's that moment when you're like, oh, this is when the production like uh, achieved their goals. Like they yeah, had this right. vision that they couldn't quite reach, you know, for so long because they didn't have the money or the time. And then it's like, oh yeah, with 1999, it clicks. Oh yeah. Did, was was 1999 uh, Jimmy um, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis as well? I mean, those, those are the two the, the two guys that were in that scene on the production end quite a bit. Um, I mean, uh, they they did a lot of stuff. They did like Janet Jackson's records too, like around right. you know, in the mid eighties. Yeah, but I feel like they came up with this that signature like different electronic snare sound. Right. That would right. be a signature of those songs, isn't that? Sure. Jimmy Jam. <laughs> I'll never forget, man, seeing some of those videos for the first time when 19, 1999 dropped on MTV. You know, as a, as, a, as a kid, a small kid at that even, you know, it was like, wow, is that is that a guy dressed like a girl? Is that a, is that a girl <laughs> dressed like a guy? You yeah. Know, but they, they, like, made it work. And then, you know, you feel bad for, like, Billy Squire. He's like, I pranced around like a girl and my feet died. You know what I mean? Like, right. But, but it, like, Prince made it all work. You know what I mean? He got huge. He was he he, he was sexy across genders. You know, he has, like, he has kind of an androgynous vibe to it. Oh, you know, sure. But, like, yeah. he's, he's, he, he's always just, just exuded sex appeal, though. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, he's... Just yeah, yeah, it. absolutely. So, uh, are you yeah. saying that Billy Squire is the White Prince? <laughs> so I think that's what you're saying. <laughs> I just feel that you know Billy. Billy pranced around in one video and he lost his whole career, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> one man's one man's lonely as the night is another you know man's around the world in a day. You know, right? <laughs> Speaking of that one. um that's actually one of my favorite records by him around the world in a day. It's got, it's kind of like his most Beatles esque kind of, I've read that like Sergeant Peppers was a big influence on that record. Um, And you could, you could hear it, um, Mm -hmm. you know, even from the album cover vibes as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, Raspberry Beret was the big single, but start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, That's, that's, that's a really good album. Mm -hmm. Um, I I really like that one a lot. If you guys haven't listened to it in a while, I recommend it. It's uh, it's like, I think it's the, it's it's the one after Purple Rain, so I guess it, right. yeah. it probably does it probably does doesn't get as much attention because it followed you know his his opus right. you know well, um, it you know, it probably only sold five million copies right. it, <laughs> it, so it, actually like, it yeah, only well, went two times platinum only, right yeah only. <laughs> um, but yeah and, and to that end then uh, Parade was my favorite that was the next one that was released mm-hmm. um, that's the one I latched on to that the big single on that was Kiss. Okay. Oh yeah, right, right. 
which is still a ripper. You know, I mean, like anytime sure. that song comes on, I can't turn it off. Sure, you know, I mean, you've heard it a million times. Um, there's there's a really cool. We were talking about that scene, um, and I, I think I might have recommended this to y'all. But um, if you haven't heard it yet, um, there's a really good compilation that documents a lot of that um, Minneapolis funk R&B stuff from the late '70s, early '80s, um, before Prince really took off. He's on it too. It's called Purple Snow, uh, forecasting the Minneapolis sound. It's like a it's like a box set, but you can you know you can hear it on any of the streaming sites. Um, it's really really good. So check it. It's it also has just one of the most just Google it one of the most bitching album covers ever too. Yeah, um, <laughs> whoever those guys are, I want to party with them all night. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, check that out. Purple Snow. It, it's it's a lot of the folks that. Um, certainly um didn't make it as big as prince or even more stay for that matter is there um, any lips they... incorporated on that no lips uh, incorporated is i don't think lips maybe, I, I i wouldn't i forgot about lips i wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if people like who played in lips incorporated maybe played them on the studio yeah. songs of some of these tracks yeah, their big their big album was mouth to mouth and it was from 79 so that would have coincided with prince's first record okay yeah with the venerable funky town you gotta you gotta love funky town of course yeah. right it's got a, it's got like some of jimmy jams uh is is on it um there's a really good group too called 94 east that's uh that's that's pretty good uh prince is on prince is on like he's i don't think it's listener him but he's featured on a couple of the tracks on purple snow so check check it out if you get a chance really good mm-hmm. um well you know, talking a little bit more too about, um, it, we'll, we'll hop back to acoustic guitars for a second. Um, a band that is also from Minneapolis that um, is pretty influential on uh, a lot of bands I like is a band called the Jayhawks. I don't know if you guys uh, got to got to dive into the Jayhawks or have ever been fans. Um, yeah, you know, I um, it's. It's it's really good rootsy stuff. Polly, are you a fan? Are you uh, are you are you into the Jayhawks or? or- oh, I've the little bit I've dabbled in, I've enjoyed, but I've I haven't gone down too far yet. Yeah, I, I I liked it as well. I I probably I wasn't hip to it when it came out. I was just you know listening to other stuff. Um, the 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 records most people cite are Hollywood Town Hall and Tomorrow the Green Grass, um, as being kind of their. Um, they're, they're sort of must-haves. Um, I know that a band that Jonathan and Levi and I are into a lot, I know that the Black Crows were big Jayhawks fans. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that Sweet Pickle Salad? or Yeah, that- uh, Gary Loris, um, who's in the Jayhawks, was did some studio work with Chris Robinson and Mark Ford. Yeah, Sweet Pickle Salad. I'm pretty sure he's on it. He also... You know that show Foam Foot, Levi, where yeah, like they yeah, yeah. they do all those covers. Gary Loris comes out for Take the Highway on that. Okay, and tears it I, up I, too. I, I can rip through the through the Crows family somehow. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, I could see how like you know that's it's it's I could see how the Crows would dig it. Like it's pretty, it, it doesn't rock you know as as hard as you know some of their stuff around America did, but um, it's got that rootsy you know it's um, uh, you know it's. Rootsy kind of, you know, some a lot of good slide work, and, and it's 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 good pedal steel too. It's 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 good. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we um earlier, you know, I we talked about 
how when I first heard Runaway Train, I thought that was like, oh, the debut of Soul Asylum. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of, uh, in doing this podcast, I had that kind of same moment with a band that I'm sure a lot of people have heard their hit, and that's Semisonic. And their hit was Closing Time. Oh, and, uh, right. <laughs> the leader of that band is a guy named Dan Wilson, and he had been in a band all throughout the 80s in Minnesota that sounds a lot like the Jayhawks or or the Replacements a little bit. You know, they were uh, power pop, acoustic-y. They were called Trip Shakespeare. Okay. Oh, yeah. And so um, they had albums that were played all on college rock. Like in 86, they had an album called Applehead Band. In 88, they had an album called Are You Shakespeareanced? And then in 1990... <laughs> that's a theme here. Right? Uh, yeah. in, in 1990, they actually had a major label uh, deal, and so they released an album called Across the Universe. And so in listening to that, you know, it's it's if you're into those bands like we've talked about, you would definitely like Trip Shakespeare. It's it uh, A lot of it is along... The similar lines they have a little bit goofier lyrics than maybe yeah. some of the replacements or uh jayhawks do but um yeah i had no idea that that guy from semi-sonic had been you know in a band that was influential to other bands in minnesota mm-hmm. well speaking of other one hit wonders uh what is paulie with texan marcy playground right uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Sex yeah, and I candy. Didn't, yeah. I didn't yeah. realize they were Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Takes all kinds up there. <laughs> well, yeah, that Dan Wilson guy has now had an even third career from, you know, Trip Shakespeare into Semisonic to now he's a Grammy Award winning songwriter. He wrote Someone Like You with Adele. They won like Grammy, you know, like Song wow. of the Year. And so, yeah, that guy's had the guy's had a, a long career in music, and I didn't realize that at all. Nice. Oh, I, I fuck. I didn't even know. I didn't even know who sang that closing time song until you just told me. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know it was semi-sonic. Yeah, I didn't know. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious. Uh, what concerts have you guys seen in in uh, the Twin Cities? Uh, notable shows. My my first one up there ever was Janet Jackson. Whoa! Uh, I think it was '93, and Tony 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 opened up. Sweet, which is really quite at the. I think it was right when the Target Center opened. It was at the Target Center. Okay, and uh, yeah, that was, that was something. The Janet Jackson portion of the show was the first show I was at where there wasn't a band. Oh, wow. Uh, it was, she was, was all just, tracks, huh? Yeah, it was just music playing with her and dancers dancing wow. on stage. Was uh, it good? Actually, it was. I really enjoyed Tony, Tony, Tony. They came dressed out and came all dressed up in like robes. Nice. Like a funkadelic kind of thing. You know? Nice. It was like, and they were, they were real funky. They all played stuff, you know. So uh, that was something. Yeah, they got some good tracks, man. Uh, if mm-hmm. I had no loot, that's a ripper, dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Raphael Sadiq uh, is was uh, in Tony Tony Tone, and uh, yep. 
Check out his solo catalog his if you haven't good. already. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sure. I have to admit, I didn't know he was in the band. Dude. Yeah. I never looked. I never like. I liked his that record, a uh, couple of his records, but I, I didn't know his background. Okay, yeah. cool. Tony yeah. Tony Raphael just didn't have that ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> they had to kick him out for another Tony. <laughs> well, yeah, I caught him on a bad night. The one Tony was sick. It was just Tony Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't bother going seeing Tony. <laughs> so, so Paulie, um, uh, uh, that was at the Target Center. Did you hit up any other venues? Yeah, I've, I've been multiple times to First Avenue. Um, there, there's a handful of other places up there, like the Caboose, Bunkers. Bunkers is a place Prince would show up randomly and just sit in. I, was that where the replacements would play sometimes? Yeah, I think, yeah, Bunkers. Because I watched a, uh, in doing some of this, I watched an interview with Paul Westerberg, and he was talking about how one night Prince came and saw them at Bunkers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he said that he, that Prince liked the replacements because he could show up to their show and just like Chuck Taylor's and like beat up jeans or whatever. Like he didn't have to like, <laughs> yeah, like you have to be Prince. Have to dress <laughs> like Prince. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the guy asked Paul Westerberg, you know, like, what was that like? And he's like, it's like it was kind of like Van Gogh coming to watch us do graffiti or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, you know. It's well put. Anyway, yeah, it was like, it, it was strange, but like it was cool that he, appre- like he could appreciate what they were doing is basically what Paul said. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right yeah. 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 You guys know um, uh, the replacement, speaking of tours, um, do you know the replacements were the opening act on Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever tour? Do you guys know that? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. That was like, that was probably the biggest tour they ever did, you know. Well, I mean, they weren't a headliner, but that's, uh, wow. that was, uh, yeah, I did. That, really put, that put them in front of larger audiences. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Interesting pairing, too. Yeah. I, I can kind of see it, though. I can kind of see it. I can know? see that. No, I can yeah. totally see that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've never been to Minneapolis, not once, man. No? So I can't. I have no show experience. It's a beautiful city. There. Yeah, I think the only time I went there, guess, was when we saw Government Mule. Right. I think that's the only time I've ever. Been there. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was in '02 uh, at the State Theater. The uh, the day Lane Staley died, or the day after Lane Staley of Alice yeah, in Chains died, something mm-hmm. like because they played Rooster. Yeah. Uh, that night. ah, right on. Um, it was cool. We got to uh, see Jason uh, Newstead. Yeah, like. Mm-hmm. They were they were like rotating in and out all these bases. Oh were, yeah, like, settled yeah. on their, dude, their new duty. Yeah, after Alan, what do you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, so yeah, um, Jason Newstead was there for for some tracks, and then I can't remember who else played with them that night. Um, like the bass player from Firehose, didn't he do something? Oh, oh my god! Yeah, Matt Wyatt, yeah, my um, god. He did. Yeah, he he played like with him in the studio on a couple numbers, but he he wasn't there that night. Uh, Oddly, Freed was there that night. Um, in Newstead, and I don't know who the band was though. I don't know who who the bass player was, other than News because Newstead was only in there for like the last six tracks. Yeah. Um. But um. So yeah, I, I've been fortunate enough to to see a few other shows there, um, including Gomez Soundgarden and and so George. Oddly, they're all at different venues. So I've been to like four different mm-hmm. venues four diff- on my four different trips to Minneapolis. Have you been to First uh, Avenue? I, ironically, no. <laughs> so, so, but Pauly, um, uh, how far were you from Minneapolis uh, where you were growing uh, up? Uh, it was a place called La Crosse, Wisconsin, and it's about a two-hour drive. So was so that I kind of your go-to? Go 
Yeah, totally. I have, for example, uh, Soul Coughing, saw them. Um, yeah, I cannot remember the name of the opener. The opener was like a string, like a punk string quartet. Was that First Avenue? Yeah, yeah, at First Avenue. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of stuff up there. I mean, but I've multiple times Humphreys McGee there. Sure. Um, who else have I seen there? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know, but First Avenue is, it's just everything. Oh, a Tribe Called Quest I've seen there. Nice. 311 nice. I saw there. Nice. Uh, but uh, it's such a classic, awesome, like, rock venue. It, it just uh, like it's it it smells like rock and roll in there when you walk in. It's everything that like if they made a movie uh, where there's a rock scene going on, uh, <laughs> they would they would make model it after First Avenue for yeah. sure. I feel like that there could easily be a documentary made on the venue. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What are your notes? Resource? Speaking, speaking of not yeah. a memorable concert venue the metro dome um, <laughs> you said gets dead the dead dylan and petty played there in 86 yeah yeah according to cellist fm and actually there's if you google it you can find some t-shirts so was it like it wasn't part of that dylan and the dead tour where they played together or was it it may have you know been. what i mean like okay levi you should know this or paul yeah. is that 87 i think that? it would have been around there seven yeah yeah okay the worst so this would have been separate. That. This would have been probably like Dylan with his band. So yeah. it's like a, it's like three, three bands on the bill. Yeah. Wow, that's that's awesome though. I mean, fuck, the, speed of Dylan and the Dead, I find it fascinating to watch like clips of it, and you yeah. see Bob back when Bob Dylan for a small stretch is trying to look sexy. <laughs> yeah, he's, right. he's like on stage with Jerry, and he's wearing like a leather. Leather like tank top and leather pants. Like (laughs) interesting take, Bob Dylan. Interesting. I I don't need that much of Dylan's arms. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give that man some sleeves. (laughs) The album that came out of that, the Dylan and the Dead album, is awful too. Like there, there are so many better live recordings from that tour, and like guys that are affiliated with the band will say it. Like we don't know why they picked those songs because there was like. There's like a whole nother album's worth of better songs they could have released. Uh. <laughs> right. Go figure. Go figure. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> supposedly, yeah, that dead that dead Dylan and Petty uh, concert. I don't know how many dates they did together, but that was one of them at the Metrodome. Cool. Yeah. A buddy of mine grew up in South Dakota, and so like basically, like <laughs> the nearest concert was six hours away in Minneapolis, right? <laughs> and so. You listed it here, the Stones and Living Color on the Steel Wheels tour. He went to that, but oh, nice. buddy did. Yeah, he he said like it was. Uh, unfortunately, like the sound was you know practically inaudible. But uh, he said he said Living Color just blew everybody away. Like they were just they were just phenomenal. Just just yeah. Right. And I I don't know how many fans there were familiar with Living Color. I mean, he was into them. You know, he was he would he would have been like you know in his early 20s at the time maybe so 19. in 
1988, was this really one bill? Van Halen, Metallica, and Pink Floyd? No, no, no. Those are separate. Oh. Separate shows. Okay, okay. Commas, I, commas, I, I not that in the notes and was like, wow, that's a unique... Although Van Halen and Metallica were on the Monsters of Rock tour together. Yeah. I wonder, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, okay, so it would have been Metallica's and... Well... Maybe it would have been for all tour? Probably. I don't know if they toured off that until 89, but I could be wrong. Mm. Um... So Pink Floyd, so it's what? Momentary lapse of reason, right? Right, yeah. Something yeah, like it's that. gotta be, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Megadeth was playing First Avenue the year before. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I would have elected for that show instead of instead of the, the Metrodome. Um yeah, yeah, I can't imagine it sounded too great at the Metrodome. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. the building itself, it just seems like it wasn't wasn't really made for anything that they held there. <laughs> like, like, none of the events that were held at the Metrodome, they're like, we didn't design this place for any of that shit. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, the architects came out, you know, the first day to open, okay, great, the place is fucking useless. Thank you. <laughs> Just terrible turf. I mean, that's a lot, a lot of turf burn on that. Now, uh, on that, yeah. that I, a lot of bad turf burn. If I had to pick a show, though, it may be June tenth, nineteen ninety two, Genesis on the We Can't Dance tour. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Opening with Land of Confusion. Nice. <laughs> that's that's not that's not my first era of Genesis. I would, I guess, <laughs> Come on, but, Gabe. Uh, Gabe, you, you just yeah. got to play along, man. <laughs> right, right. I like. I, it's funny, uh, Paulie. I was met Jonathan's dad, like. I was joking, uh-huh. Jonathan. Like, he's his dad's like a big like Genesis fan. Uh-huh. So am I. I'm like, dude. I think we like two different Genesis. <laughs> I think your I think your dad's Genesis is a little different than mine. Trick of but, the tail. Trick of the yeah. tail. There we go. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what my dad likes, and Gabe hates it. <laughs> your dad's like Watcher of the Skies. <laughs> yeah. Hate his face for the show. <laughs> <laughs> he likes he likes all those twenty minute songs from Foxtrot. <laughs> I know, man. It's a surprise. <laughs> but um, anyway, like I have to admit, I in doing some research will um, kind of get the home stretch of the music part here. But in doing some research um, on younger Minnesota bands, um, I. Uh, you know, I, I didn't find a ton that was like really recent, you know, that like I, I could get into, but um, there are some um, some out there. Uh, Paula, you mentioned this band called Wolfpack. I'm not, yeah, I'm not that familiar. What? Uh, how would you? Uh, how would you characterize? Uh, they're they're kind of a jam thing, but it's focused more on like real tight funk. Corey okay. Wong, Corey Wong, the guitar player, is real tight, super fast strumming hand of. Very articulate, uh, syncopated funk guitar. Cool. And it's like kind of jazzy, a little jazzy funk, basically, but real dancey and upbeat. Cool. Yeah, I've got some friends that are into him. Um, and so he has solo projects as well. Yeah, the Corey Wong, uh, just the Corey Wong. He actually just came to uh, Madison a little while ago now, of course, but uh, 
<clears throat> yeah, so I, I don't know if that's just a, not a permanent thing just to do it, but it's just like a solo band, which is similar with a similar sound as Wolfpack. But uh, I really enjoyed it when fed. I stumbled upon that. that yeah, those it's are, fun. I've listened more than fun once to those records. <laughs> I, I, I read about one cool thing that Wolfpack did, guys. I don't know if you heard about this. Um, they have an album called Sleepify, and it's um, it's 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 not it doesn't have music on it, right? It's just like ten tracks that are like silence. Okay. <laughs> so in order to earn some nice. cash, they can they convince their fan base to put that on every night on Spotify. And they ended up earning twenty grand from it. Nice. So nice. we'll wow. do it, man. That's 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 a very very savvy move. Man. Good, good, good move. That is a savvy move. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So so uh, Corey Wong too. He works a lot with uh, John Batiste of um, the, uh, the 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 Late Show. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Colbert yeah, with yeah. Colbert. Yeah. Um, uh, that band leader. And uh, I think he's been on there a few times, but yeah, yeah, he's he's very very accomplished. Or in, yes, just technically sound, and it's fun. Yeah, definitely. Check it out. And um, guess you you wrote down here the light and the dark. I'm not familiar with light in the dark uh, was another uh, record I've listened to a couple times uh, by this band uh, out of Minneapolis. I don't know anything about them other than that they released this record. The light. Uh, and uh that's it i mean it's it's pretty um it's pretty low key um but just good songwriting uh both lyrically and uh instrumentally and uh i recommend checking it out mm-hmm. um the one that i was kind of um, think i added to the list here um the, the band that i was kind of familiar with um cause my, my wife's a fan um although i i think they're kind of dormant now um, is a band called Tapes and Tapes um, from from Minneapolis. Um, you know, pretty good. Yeah, kind of. Um, it, it sort of got like a like a, a lighter psychedelic kind of sound to it at times. Um, yeah, it's uh, they got an album called The Loon that's pretty good, and then uh, another one called Walk It Off um, that's uh, that's that's pretty good. Uh, they were starting to get some buzz around the time of of Walk It Off, and then. You know, like uh, a lot of things, just, you know, it's a fickle public. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, didn't, um, I don't think it probably, uh, you know, they were able to sustain it, but um, it's, uh, they're pretty good as well. So, yeah, tapes and tapes, check them out. That's in, like a guns in roses, tapes <laughs> in tapes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, are we missing anybody? Anybody else got anybody? I'm sure we are missing somebody. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Um, uh, no, it's, it's we, we, you know, it's from, uh, from Husker Du to Power Mad to Prince to Lips Incorporated to <laughs> and Tapes. What more can you ask from from a Midwestern <laughs> city? I mean, honestly, um, right? Well, There's a I, lot of remarkable. Midwestern towns that are the same size that don't have near the musical legacy. Uh, Kansas right. City, yeah. other That's than true. jazz. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's not near the the rock legacy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, obviously. We, nobody mentioned Morris Day's cameo in Coming to America as well. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'll make sure she's taken care of tastefully. <laughs> Delicately. <laughs> I, I hope to God he's in the sequel that's coming out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> better be. You better be. Uh, they need to yes. reshoot that shit if he's not. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. He, need, right. he needs to be in it, and the guy holding the mirror for him needs to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, well, you know, the other thing that went on at the Metrodome, other than some concerts that were kind of hard to hear, um, was a lot of baseball um, was played there. Uh, the Twins have two world championships in a field, a prairie, if you will, of mediocre to bad baseball. Between 1980 and 2000, the Twins finished on average 21 and a half games out of first place when they weren't too busy winning the World Series in 1987 and 1991. Only twice during that span, and minus their World Series years, did they finish fewer than 13 games out of first place. During their 87 World Series run, they had an 85-77 and 77 record, which at the time was the worst ever for a World Series winner. Their AL West division that year was separated by just 10 games between the first and last place teams. They went 29-52 and 52 on the road that year. Jeez. By far the worst in their division, but 56-25 and 25 at home. So there is a Metrodome advantage there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What was the name of the, the stadium before the Metrodome again? Metropolitan. Metropolitan, yeah. yeah. The, but that was the one where they had the mosquito infestations and stuff? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah. The current site of the Mall of America. <laughs> the mm-hmm. uh, A lot of players, I know, in, in watching some like history of the Twins and then reading some interviews, they were like totally thrilled with, they're becoming a metrodome for the fact that I guess like they would come back from the dugout after the games and like peel their socks down and their legs would be covered with mosquito bites mm, from the amazing. old stadium. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so then they got the metrodome, and then after a while, you know, they realized that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be because <laughs> they didn't put air conditioning in the metrodome. I think is one of the first things, right? To where it created all this humidity. Yeah. And to where, yeah, it was just like the field was something like almost 50 feet below street level or something. So, yeah. They thought it would cool itself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And it's like, let's play baseball in a building that's the shape of a rectangle. That sounds (laughs) like it's going to work, right? (laughs) You have the trash bag out there in right field. Yeah, and apparently that that artificial turf was uh, it, the balls bounced off of it like a like a super ball. Oh yeah, guys would say like ping pong. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they compared it to like a ping pong table. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paulie, did you grow up a Twins fan or no? Really? I, was, I was a Brewers fan. Always a Brewers kid. Uh, yeah. All right. But uh, yeah, been up to the Metrodome for a lot of. Uh, baseball and football games and it's uh it's something it's uh like when you leave the air like escaping the building like shoves you out one of the first experiences i ever had was that leaving a packer viking game and you just kind of like get rushed out by the this jettison of air leaving the building oh wow because the roof is supported by the air pressure correct Yeah, yeah 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 It's just the place is just kind wild. of architectural. Well, yeah, like they don't wonder is too, too nice of a word, but yeah. I, 
<laughs> it's I believe it's like the only stadium where twice it happened to where a ball got hit and it never came back down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was one of them like Robin Yount or somebody, I think? I can't remember. But w- one of them, yeah, it like somehow went through a vent and never came back. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Prince Fielder had his uh, inside the park home run there, which is okay. when it hit a, it caromed off of a speaker hanging up. Okay. <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. Of all people... Yeah, Prince Fielder please. with an inside the park home run. Bonkers. <laughs> so, so, Polly, when you were there, um, it was loud? Especially yeah, for the football yeah, games, was, I'm assuming. Yeah, it, it was really loud. Um, I, you know, being a sports fan in general, I was easily swept away by how fun that made it, too, there. Even as a visiting fan, um, including I went to a Monday night, not, not to it off of baseball, but I went to a Monday night Packer Viking game there and I wore green I wore Gene Simmons makeup, but yellow yellow with green outline, like the white face nice. but and then the I happened to be in a Packer section and the whole place erupted when I I had a Sterling Sharp jersey on and then that and then. <laughs> I was You're ready. The king of the Metrodome for a yeah, while. Yeah. You king of your yeah. section, yeah. yeah. Minneapolis Rock City. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, you I mean it's easy for us to comment on, you know, how antiseptic it it looks on TV. I mean, is is it was it a fun building to be in for games? Uh I I thought so. It was uh I mean it's my first memory of like a really big stadium I was ever at. So I have have that attached to it, but I thought it was it was still pretty cool and fun for the games. And uh, there's electricity in that building mm-hmm. for sure. Whether it be Chili Davis or Leo Lewis catching, maybe dropping a third down pass for the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, I think at its you know during its heyday, it had the reputation of being the loudest stadium, right? I mean, yeah. That was one of the big complaints that Whitey Herzog had, I think, mm-hmm. with the place. Mm-hmm. Was like, you know, he, he said it was deafening, like you couldn't hear anything really. You couldn't see things very well either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Certainly a lot easier to see a football in there than a baseball. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the eighty seven and the ninety one teams are the ones for obvious reasons that that stand out to me growing up and um I you know, you know Jonathan you you had mentioned in that intro that you wrote um, how outside of those titles um, you know there there hasn't been a ton of success um, which which kind of surprised me like I mean I the, the years that we tend to talk about the most on this podcast are eighty six to ninety two and, and for baseball you know um, seems just kind of when we were we were all in the throes of it collecting cards as well. Um, I, I kind of wanted to see, like, because, like, I was like, oh, well, the Twins got to be one of the best teams of that era, right? I mean, the best American, one of the best American League teams. They won two titles. Um, so I wanted to see, and the other team I think of is the A's during that era as being the other mm-hmm. American League powerhouse. But, yeah, you're right, dude. Like, the A's, between those years, the A's won um, about 63 more games. Um, which I guess over that many years of that, so that over that span, the Twins are five eighty six and five forty eight, and the A's are six forty three and five oh one. Yeah, but 
you know, Minnesota's got two World Series during that time, and the A's only have one, yeah. despite ha- despite having like a powerhouse All Star team. Yeah, from yeah. Basically, back five back years appearances, right? With yeah. the A's, yeah, yeah. They, the, the A's have the A's won four divisions in five years, and that was when the AL had the the you know the AL West had the seven teams then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the Twins though. Um, I, I, and and they also you know they we always bring them up as the the worst to first thing. Um, so in 1990 they were 74 and 88. 1991 they're 95 and 67. So I looked at the rosters and I'm like, well, who like were like the, you know who who makes up that gap just in one year? You know, I mean they win 21 more or yeah 21 more games. Mm-hmm. It's basically the arrival of Jack Morris played a role mm-hmm. in their pitching. He had a good year. Scott Erickson, kind Scott of Erickson, right? Yeah. yeah, he he comes out of somewhere. Um, and then uh, they got they got Chili Davis as well. But a lot of the roster is not that much different. You know, I mean, Chili Davis was there. Um, but, you know, Gagne, Gaetti, Pocket, um, uh, all those dudes, Shane Mack, all those guys are still there. Kevin Tappany so, was huge Tappany. that year. Yeah. What year did Rod Carew retire? Was he on the 87 team? No, no. No, he was done before that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No. But probably like maybe just maybe a couple of years before there he retired. Right? Yeah, 84, 85. 85. Yeah. 85 was his last year. And that was with the twins? Did he go back to him? Uh, no, he had ended up California. He went to the, the he was at the Angels then. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure if he yeah. went back to But him. a guy that did come back uh was Burt Blylevin. Blylevin. Easy for me to say. <laughs> um, who who had a really interesting career where I mean he was he was on like the nineteen. He started in the nineteen nineteen seventy season, I think, and um, he he was kind of a pain in the ass wherever he went. Uh, Bly Levin was <laughs> like he would always demand to be traded. He was traded to the Rangers in seventy six, and then he was traded to the Pirates in seventy eight, and he was traded to Cleveland in eighty one, and he finally made it back to Minnesota at age thirty four um, in eighty five, and. Um, and he was on the 87 World Series team and, and, and mm-hmm. helped. He pitched quite a bit. He was 36 years old and went 15 and 12. Um, yeah, big curve, best curveball in the game. No doubt. Then. No doubt. And, um, yeah, yeah. So he got that ring. Like, it, it's so it's such a unique story it's for a guy to start off his career and eventually he'll be enshrined into the Hall of Fame. But to get that second second go around and get that championship is is yeah, pretty 15 fun. years later yeah if i'm reading his stats right and in 86 and 87 he led the league for most homers given up oh the- yeah <laughs> it's 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 a uh it's an mlb Maybe record the best curveball <laughs> he gave up 50 home runs one year it's an mlb record i think yeah. in 86 and 46 the next year in 87 but it, wow. in his age 38 season he finished fourth in the Cy Young voting and then he was retired within right? a few years yeah. um uh but uh yeah that that dude he pitched a lot of innings um Something like five thousand innings, or um, forty nine seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. five thousand innings. Struck out more than three thousand, and he was one of the guys who got brought into the Hall of Fame because of the crusade of a particular, the son of a Hall of of, of former Hall of Fame voter um, did a lot of research, almost like sabermetric research, to make a case for him that eventually got him into the Hall of Fame, like on his second to last year of eligibility. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Two thousand eleven. Years he played. 
seventy to ninety two. <laughs> yeah, but apparently Brooks he was a pain in around. the ass. Um, <laughs> part, a part of the of a fourteen trade. Well, um, yeah, you could just after tell, he flipped like, off the camera. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, as many you know, he's on. I don't know. He's not at Gaylord Perry level here, but the guy had a lot of uniforms. Yeah, and yeah, usually, yeah. if that's the yeah. case, yeah. you're a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> Another guy that makes me think of the Twins a lot, but you know what? I'm looking at his um, his stats here. Steve Bedrosian, right? Yeah. He was on the 91 team. That's the only year he played for the Twins. For some reason, I always think of that guy in a Twins uniform. Yeah, sure. That was it. That's the only year. Um, and he was like, he was okay. You know, he was like, his ERA was 4.42 in 91. He was 5-3, and three, so I guess he was... Middle reliever, probably. Yeah, he was a middle reliever. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he wasn't really a closer anymore. It was kind of near the end of his career. Um, but uh, he in '87, was... though, Petrosian won the Cy Young with the Phillies. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, the other one time. Yeah, I didn't know. I did never never knew Petrosian got a got a Cy Young. And he but he won another ring too. Then in '95, no, 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 he didn't. Yeah, he, was on, he was on the Braves. He was on the Braves, so if, but if, for some reason if he's not. He made it to the end of the year. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he did. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So I guess his best oh, years cool. were with the Phillies, but for some reason I, I, I don't know. He just maybe it was the baseball cards. He, he sticks out of my head as a twin. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so it was, uh, it was fun reading about Rod Carew because he's kind of like mytho- mythological in a way. Um, in that we, I never got to see him play. Um, Paulie, do you remember seeing him play? Uh, just a little bit. It was, it was right around when I really started to first pay attention to baseball. It's like he he looked old to me when I was a kid. Right, it looked like one of those weathered kind of ball players. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, he was on the Angels. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an angel. Yeah, I mean, you got to see a guy that started his career in 1967, and you saw him play baseball. So yeah, it was pretty old. <laughs> yeah, right. right. But that dude, that dude hit 388 in 1977 for the Twins. Yeah, that's um, amazing. And it was something like he was like eight hits away from batting 400. Essentially, if he if eight of his outs were hits during the year, he would have batted 400. Oh. Um. But that is there's only one of a few different players who have hit that high with when playing more than 150 games. When a lot of the seasons you think of like George Brett and other guys who almost and Tony Gwynn who almost got to 400, they didn't play nearly as many games as Rod Carew hit when he hit um, sure. 388 in 1977. Oh. Yeah, can't I mean, even hell, man. As, as a kid, he, he, hit, it, he hit 280 in his last year. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Really, well, I was just gonna say, as a kid, you know, ripping packs open in 1990. I bet I pulled like a thousand Dan Gladden di- Diamond Kings. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now yeah. it's like, how did that guy get a Diamond King? But it, or or the next year, Brian Harper. He he was their Diamond King in '91. I guess they got tired of Puckett for some reason. Right? Yeah. yeah. 88, they had Gary Gaetti. He was the Twins Diamond King that yeah. year. <laughs> um, I mean, heck, with Rock Roo, I mean, the Beastie Boys don't don't put any... They're not going to name drop you if you're a scrub, you know? Right. I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, and, and apparently there was almost an uh, an SNL 
a moment where where Rod Carew was invited on by the Beastie Boys to join them on SNL, um, but he couldn't make it. He had to he had to go to Japan. Apparently, Rod Carew did. Oh, man. <laughs> um. Well, you know, talking about Puckett, let's let's because uh, like I mean, gosh, you know, if it, it let's let's just say I say Minnesota Twins, right? Is the first person that comes to your mind Carew or is it Puckett? For Puckett. me, it's probably Puckett, Puckett. It's just because of my age, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would yeah. Say yeah, and the and the championships too, right? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, uh, do you know how he had to grab his wallet? He had to reach over his back to grab his wallet out of his pocket because his butt was so big. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> that's, a, that's my one Kirby Puckett joke, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I remember playing RBI baseball, and, you know, the, the yeah. Twins were really good on it, you know, because I think it followed the 87 stats. Yeah. So, you know, the Twins were, were beast on it. But every player on RBI baseball was shaped like Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 They're little rotund, yes. <laughs> um... And, you know, like I, I, I dusted it off. Um, I did not. I, I, I guess I should say I had forgotten, and I read it about a month ago when we started prepping for this episode um, uh, about Kirby Puckett's tr- very troubled end of his life. You know, I, uh, I don't like it, it. It seems like he, he was, he was always remembered as such like a lovable guy, and in the Twin Cities, they just, they just loved him. Um, you know, and he was just really this big kind of affable dude. And, um, the personal life is pretty dark, actually. Um, if you guys get the chance to read up on, uh, on Kirby Puckett, um, it, uh, well, yeah. And all of this was pre-internet age. So we were, we were fed the, you know, smile and happy jovial yeah. Kirby Puckett on ESPN, or if sure. you were lucky enough to see it on the sports at night, you know, on the news, where, yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people realize, it, it, like you're saying, you know, he, the troubles he, he had and during, you know, not just the end of his life, but during some of his career, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, he, he's a guy that hit it, definitely, you know. I mean, all this didn't really come out until near the end of his life when that yeah. Sports Illustrated piece dropped, um, which was just which was just a couple of years before he died. Um, and... Uh, so a, qu- a quick recap, yeah. though, because we're kind of talking around it. Um, so he, the glaucoma ended his baseball career. Yeah, and when, when he was still kicking ass, you yeah. know, like he, yeah. it was like '96, like he was he was hitting like 360 in spring training when he got glaucoma. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, and so then after that, what happened? Uh, he had to, he, he was done. Like he had to he had to pull out right away. He couldn't see in one eye. But then with so, his private life. Yeah, I think I think things started to you know, really intensify then, um, you know, like just, you know, violent temper, spousal abuse, you know, just, um, it all, unfortunately, like the glaucoma thing, uh, like Levi mentioned, maybe it was a little bit before then as well, but it seemed like things really started caving in the walls. Yeah. Once the glaucoma in. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He, I think part of it was, you know, when you do something your whole life and it gets taken away from you, I'm sure you know what I mean. I he was yeah. kind of he was abruptly left with like, what the hell do I do with the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I I can't play this game that I love anymore, you know. And and it was all in a time where it was kind of like pre-internet days to where he was able to hide it all basically until till that article came out. Yeah, right. That right. article was like 2003, something so, like that. And he died a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's one of those things like now, like Levi said, you know, you, to hide it, like, you know, nobody, no athlete could, could get away with that now, you know, I mean, it would just be all <laughs> over. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, like I, one of the, one of the stories, and I mean, I, you know, I don't want to go too deep in talking bad about somebody, especially who's not on this earth anymore. But, um, you know, he was so good at hiding all of this that his mistress that he had for like years, he cheated on her with like a ton of women. And when she found out, she was so distraught that she like found solace in his wife. They like came together Whoa. and were like, yeah. So like yeah. it just it kind of tells you how you're, you're cheating at like Tiger Woods levels then. Uh, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Herbeck Her didn't have that going on. <laughs> Herbeck's just out there shooting geese on the weekends. Yeah, Herbeck, Tom Tom Brunanski didn't he play for the Twins for a while? Yep. was on Tom yep. Brunanski. Yeah. <laughs> he probably didn't have eighteen mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't have the batting average for it, but <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like him and uh, you know him and him and uh, Kirby Puckett was kind of the American League Tony Gwynn, you know, sure. um, not not all that stuff that Levi just mentioned, but just um, in terms of not really guys with athletes' physiques, so to speak, <laughs> and but but just like hitting machines, you know, and, mm-hmm. and guys that were always atop the uh, the leaderboard for for av- for batting average. Yeah, yeah. dude yeah. had three fifty six one year, three thirty nine. Yeah. Two dudes that spent their whole career with the same teams, too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, he didn't walk a ton. Puckett didn't. Um, so he never had an OBP above 400, surprisingly. Mm. Um, so, you know. He had some po- good power, though. He had, yeah. He had, like, 33, maybe, in 87. 30, 31 yeah. and 86, 28 and 87. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had a couple hundred home runs. Yeah. And and one one big one in the World Series. One big one, yeah. <laughs> right. We'll see you tomorrow yeah, night. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just, you know, yeah. it's crazy to think that you know the the losing his vision and stuff was just like the the impetus for it all to just start falling apart for the guy. Right. Like shortly after that, like his mistress said that he would like go to like busy shopping centers like around the Minneapolis St. Paul area. And, like, in front of people, like, open his door and just, like, get out and start peeing in the parking lot. And, like, like she... There are perks to being Kirby fucking, I guess. Like, yeah, like she, re- like, she wasn't sure if it was, like, him trying to see if he, like, how, what he could get away with or, like, if he wanted yeah. to be caught or what. And then, you know, the reason that article ended up coming out, basically, was because he, you know, supposedly pulled a lady from a bar into a restaurant and, like, tried to sexually assault her or, or did or and you know so it, it it's a shame you know when players that you grow up you know looking up to like that mm-hmm. when stuff like that comes out you're just it was blindsiding to i'm sure a ton of twins fans because you know mm-hmm. this stuff was hidden for so long mm-hmm. yeah and, and you know like it's it's an odd type of ailment and injury too to end a career you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's um right like you know, it's it's nothing that happened on the field, right? I mean, I, I don't think so, right? No, he didn't get hit, he didn't he get hit in the eye or anything, right? I mean, slept on his eye wrong. Is yeah. like what he said. He like woke up and couldn't see out of his eye. Yeah, that yeah, sucks, freaks man. In. And then he yeah, died of a yeah. stroke that was also unrelated to everything else, right? It was. 
I believe you're right. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. Freak things, man. Chicago uh, guy. Yeah. Chicago I w- went guy. to a Bradley. Oh, I didn't realize oh, that. Theoria. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, so, uh, to, to pivot real quick to, uh, uh, a real home run hitter, uh, in, in, in Minnesota twins history, the, the all time home run leader, Harmon Killebrew. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's fun to look at team leaderboards and still see old guys. And I'm not like a, and I'm not like an old guy, you know, get off my lawn sort of champion. Not a, not a, not an old fart apologist. No, right? no, no, no. But <laughs> I think it's awesome that the Twins single season leaderboard for home runs is Harmon Killebrew, 49, Killebrew, 49, Killebrew, 48, 46, 45, 44. Then finally Brian Dozier gets in there at 42. Tied with Harmon Killebrew at 42. <laughs> and, I'm sitting and, about 10 feet away from an autographed Harmon Killebrew baseball right Are you now. really? <laughs> yeah. Shoot, man. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the dude is in there. He's in one, two, three. Yeah, he's in the first 12 spots. Nice. Um, or, I'm sorry, in the first nine spots um, for nine, all time. Nine innings with, or I'm sorry, oh, nine, yeah. nine years with 40 or more homers. He was a stud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolute stud. <laughs> Um, played, played one year in Kansas City too, Gats seventy five. Yeah, he finished his career, <laughs> or, I think, in, in Kansas dude, City. Dude, I, um, you know how I got you that? Uh, he, he was on, yeah, he was on the yeah the Royals okay. in seventy five. The Royals hadn't been the Kansas City Royals that long, only a few years. He only batted one ninety nine, but he still hit fourteen dongs. <laughs> <laughs> now, dude, speaking of which, him on the Royals, Gats. You know, I, I got you that um, Kirk Gibson mm-hmm. shirt. You know, mm-hmm. with the Royals and. Um, I uh, I tried to put Killebrew on there and they wouldn't let me do it. Like really? MLB has like a licensing thing, like I maybe like you can only get him on the Twins or something. I don't know. Interesting. Wow. Like they wouldn't let me spill it out. Yeah, I bought Jonathan and Levi like sort of. I got, I got a know, top man popple. Yeah, I got Levi the top man popple shirt, and then I got for the coach, Jonathan yeah. like. Kirk Gibson played with the Royals for like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I got him that one. So. I don't know, Paulie. Maybe yeah, for your birthday. I mean, maybe if you get like somebody that was on the Brewers for a year or something. Yeah, like uh, uh, Dave Parker. Mm, oh, nice. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> that would be a good one. Eighty-nine, I think it was. You get, you get me, you get me the David Wells on the White Sox. Sorry, right? <laughs> yeah. Oof. Oof. Okay. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Killebrew was a stud, man, and um, you know. He was one of those guys when I started to get into vintage baseball cards, his cards were more affordable than the Maze or the Mantles or, you know, the, you know, mm-hmm. Yogi Berra's, stuff like that. So, like, he was one of the first vintage guys that I kind of got into. Sure. I remember seeing him on that old show, Home Run Derby. That oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Replay Classic. on ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. That I'd like to see that show again, bring it. Bring back the old black and white. Yeah, just the one-on-ones in an empty stadium. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I was hoping that they would yeah. do that during lockdown with current players. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. If you've got the Twins Mount Rushmore, right, it's probably yeah. Carew, Puckett, Killebrew and then you get Mauer, the argument. Is Mauer is Mauer next? Uh, I think Blylevin probably. Yeah, Blylevin. Uh, Frankie Viola. Yeah, Frankie Viola maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Viola. That's the yes. Good. good. No, I'm and going Blylevin. I'm going Blylevin. <laughs> <laughs> Although Viola did have some beautiful. Yeah, that 
things that would yeah, come Yeah, awesome. There is there. There's a really Circle great change. video of uh, when the Twins clinched. Uh, they won the ALCS in Detroit in '87, and uh, they flew back to Minneapolis. And uh, they were told to uh, that they needed to go by the stadium to to appease some fans who had gathered. And the, the players were like, "Really? You know, we just want to go home." And, you know, just thinking that there might be a few hundred people on the side, you know, outside the stadium. Well, they went in the stadium. The stadium is packed to the gills. Um, and there's no baseball game that night. Like, the, yeah, the, yeah. there the, were like 50,000 people there. Yeah. And <clears throat> and Frank Viola struts out in this trench coat, this, this like <laughs> almost like a duster and uh, with his hair just flowing. It's it's a really great scene. <laughs> he said guy, guys were uh, he, he didn't say it necessarily but uh, they said like guys were kind of getting misty eyed walking out there to that that adulation like the, the homecoming <laughs> it's a great video well, with, with, you, know, yeah. you guys maybe maybe you guys have an argument with Bly Levin because I look at Maurer and it all started to go kind of downhill after he got that big contract yeah and, right. uh, and an injury or two yeah. He don't get me wrong. He still had you know a couple of good seasons in there, but like after like the, his last five years were just you know he he wasn't the hitter he he had been by any yeah. means. Yeah, he he had a concussion I think or two, and that took him out of being yeah. a catcher. And he went from like a surefire Hall of Famer to I don't know. Yeah, now he's <laughs> yeah. questionable for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, but he had some killer yeah. years. He batted three sixty five one year. That MVP year he had in 09, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, his, yeah. his on-base percentage is, is 444. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is a, yeah, 50 points higher than Puckett ever did. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, Maurer, um, not really a power hitter either. I mean, don't get me wrong, yeah. that, that MVP year he had 28 dingers. Did, but yeah. um, other than that, you know, he, was, he wasn't a home run hitter. I was trying to create something because, you know, I saw he batted 365. And I was like, oh, that's a cool number to bat, you know, three, three, 365 days a year. And you could, like, do something with 24, 7, 365, and his number is 7. But I can't figure out yeah, how to yeah. do the 24. Um, <laughs> uh, just so, keep yeah, keep my... digging into the same. You'll, you'll find something. Yeah. Yeah. Some Ricky Henderson mashup or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <there>. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work on that T-shirt. So in, in, um, in the intro, we did, you know, knock the Twins for being pretty – mediocre to bad in that span of 80 to 2000 but they they didn't they've made the playoffs quite a bit since then since 2000 but they've mm-hmm. just been awful in the playoffs but they had to play the yeah. yankees like every time yeah too right. almost perennial first round exit you know? yeah yeah. Right. yeah they've lost 18 straight um yeah uh games period not series but games and and they they're like three in their last 20 24 They've won, uh, they've won. It's pretty bad. Yeah. They, they've got a, di- a guy right now. We're talking about the Hall of Fame and Maurer being on, you know, the bubble, I guess. Um, or maybe not even on the bubble. I don't know. But, um, you know, they got a guy right now that very quietly could make his way into the Hall of Fame in Nelson Cruz. Mm-hmm. It's one of the more remarkable post-30 careers in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's tearing it up, man. Yeah. And he's 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's something. Um. Yeah, that'll be interesting. But you know, I'm, I'm glad that they got Target Field now. Um, it looks like a beautiful stadium. Yeah, Polly, have you been? Uh, no, I haven't. But uh, I've driven by it. Um, but yeah, seeing the 
just the building skyline. It clearly is way better than the trash bag, the hefty bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to going to a game there someday. I don't know if you guys had heard this. Um, during this shortened season, there is a uh, Twins fan. He was ended up on the news because he would rent a – like a uh, – kind of like a backhoe or something, and, and he would uh, take it to the parking ramp across in the stadium, and then he would, like, go up in the lift part of it and watch. He could, he could see the games. He'd watch, like, the games in there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Dedicated. Uh, yeah. yeah it's fun, a little fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take a photo of that guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sweet. Well, guys, man, it's been it's been fun uh, taking this this trip up north here. Um, <laughs> I uh, enjoyed it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Paulie, uh, always good to good to wrap with you. Yeah, man. I shouldn't say always; it's only been twice. But I've enjoyed both times. Two for two. Batting <laughs> two for two. Yeah. There we <laughs> go. Take that pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really am an honor. It's an honor to be be a part. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Glad to have you. <laughs> Yeah, we want to remind everybody, check out the People Brothers Band. Um, give them a, a listen. You can find them on Facebook. And then every Thursday night at 730 Central, you can tune in to, to hear Polly play some tunes. You always get some different ones, too. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I want to remind everybody, um, you can check out all of our archives um, at rockchew.com, as well as get the latest episode. So check that out. And then also you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rock in Chew. That's in is in the uh, the new power generation, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so um, yeah. In, 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 until uh, until the next time, uh, we'll see everybody again real soon. Uh, Paulie, thanks again, and uh, have a good night, everybody. Yeah, you too. Take care, everybody. Peace. Good night. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>